Today is going to be a little bit of a different sermon. I'm carrying on with uh, what Pastor Bob's been working in Hebrews. And if you will, open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. And I'm going to keep going there. But the reason why this is a little bit different of a sermon is that we're going to kind of have two parts to this sermon. The first part is kind of a history lesson. The second part is kind of a rallying call. Uh, it's kind of like the go get them charge. So open up your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 5, and we're going to start at verse 1. Now, the author is writing, obviously, to a Jewish contingent, and like any teacher, and I teach middle school students, I also coach sports, I coach a lot of soccer, and one of the things that I do when I'm teaching kids in anything, whether it's sports or some kind of concept, I always start off with something that they know. And you get them comfortable, like, yeah, yeah, I kind of know that. And then I build on top of that. Well, that's exactly what the author is going to do here. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God. In other words, priests are supposed to teach people about things pertaining to God. Makes perfect sense. That he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. In the Old Testament, they would offer sacrifices for sins. Again, perfect sense. Verse 2. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. Now here's a key point. The author here says, listen, this is the role of priests, but we also know that priests are failed sinful men. And so not only do they offer sacrifices for the people, but they also offer sacrifices for their own sins. Again, the audience that's hearing this would go, yeah, all right, that makes sense. Keeps going here. Because of this, he is required, as for the, as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. Now, in the Old Testament, Aaron... Descendants of Aaron would be considered true priests. And so the author who's writing this, everyone who he's talking to is going, yeah, absolutely. This is like priest 101. We learned this when we were just little kids. But now let's build on it. Because now the author is going to transition from talking about the Old Testament priest to the New Testament priest, which is Christ. Listen to what he says here. So also... Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. He also says in another place, you are a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, there's two things there that we need to unpack. The first one is, is when he says, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Some of these concepts are a little bit confusing. I had to spend some time really looking at it. It's a lot easier to talk about, you know, Jesus walking on water than it is talking about Melchizedek and high priests. But here's the thing. That first verse there where it says, you are my son, today I have begotten you, actually in verse 5. The idea is, is that begotten means set apart. It means unique. It means one of a kind. Jesus was not like the priests of the Old Testament. He was unique. He was set apart. The priests in the Old Testament had to give sacrifices for the people's sins. 
The priests in the Old Testament had to give sacrifices for their own sins. Jesus came to give a sacrifice for sin, but it wasn't for his own sin. He was the final solution to sin. He was the final sacrifice. Now, we unpack that from the begotten because he is one of a kind. He is unique. In Genesis 1, it said that God said, let us form man. Let us form man and make him in our own likeness. Jesus was there. Jesus is God's extension. He is our ultimate sacrifice. Now, he also says this in verse 6. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now remember that to this audience they would be going, all right, well, true priests are in the descendants of Aaron. But Melchizedek lived several hundred years before Aaron and ministered with Abraham. Melchizedek was a high priest not because of some royal descendant, but because he was called by God. He was set aside by God. Now, Melchizedek was a sinful, broken man. Jesus was called but Jesus was not a broken, sinful man. He died for broken, sinful people. Now, let's keep going with this. Verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, this is Jesus, when he offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by all things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became, listen to this, the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as high priest, according to the, the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say. Now listen to this. And hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. It's not a compliment. <laughs> He's saying there's a lot to explain here. But to be quite honest, you're too thick to get it. Yikes. Now, here's the deal. How many of you remember, like probably, I'm going to say for me it was about my junior year in high school when you started to study Shakespeare. Anybody remember those days? Anybody remember when you couldn't figure out what in the world is going on? And I can remember one of my teachers say, well, let me explain this. See, what Shakespeare is speaking about here, and this, 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 and this, and this. And at one point, I remember I raised my hand, and it was like I said something like horrible. I said to him, I said, why didn't he just say that? And he looked at me, he said, Eric, that's not literature. And then he literally looked at me and went, put the hand down. Well, about halfway through the semester, I noticed that one of my knucklehead friends seemed to be absolutely grasping what's going on. And I looked over at him and I thought, listen, I'm not very smart, but I do believe I'm smarter than him. And somehow or another, he understands this. And so after class, I went up to him and I said, dude, what is the, do the deal with Shakespeare? Because all of a sudden, you're like, your hand's up every other minute and all this kind of stuff. And he opened his bag and he showed me the greatest thing I've seen this side of the Bible. Cliff Notes. <laughs> and I remember, how many of you Cliff Notes just saved you, right? Yeah. Cliff Notes and hot dogs for everybody. Listen, I remember, I was so excited that I, when I saw the Cliff Notes, 
And parents, you'll understand how miraculous this is. I went to a bookstore and I didn't even ask my mom for money. Out of my own hard work cutting grass, I bought Cliff Notes. And within a couple of weeks, I was transformed. And the teacher would say, Eric, I'm so glad that you're really into the Shakespeare. Oh, thank you very much. I'm very cultured. I spend a lot of time, me and Bill Shakespeare, because I really like this stuff. Cliff Notes was amazing. Can you imagine if they had Cliff Notes for like your marriage or things like that? It'd be outstanding. Well, here's the point. Right now, you guys are going through Hebrews chapter 5, and some of you might be going, oh my gosh, is there Cliff Notes for Hebrews chapter 5? I have good news for you. Yes, there is. It's actually in the same book. It's Philippians chapter 2, 5 to 11. And in your Bible, in Hebrews chapter 5, right next to it, write Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Because that's the cliff notes. And I'm going to read you the cliff notes. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very form God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of a man and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Cliff notes, Hebrews chapter 5. Jesus was the ultimate Lamb of God. Jesus came, and what did he say at the end of this verse? He didn't say, at the name of Aaron, or at the name of Melchizedek, every... No, he said, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess... That Jesus Christ is Lord, and in what I love, to the glory of the Father. Now, I told you that there would be a part two. And I told you that there would be a little rallying here. See, in John chapter 1, verse 12, and I'll read it for you. It says, but as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believed in his name. You have a right to be a child of God. Now notice I said you have a right. It doesn't mean you are a child of God. It means you have a right. See, one of the things about God's love is it's unconditional. If he made you follow him, if he made you do these things, then that's not that's conditional love because he's making you do it. Instead, he says, listen, I'm giving you this right. My son Jesus died on the cross so that you can have this right to be in communion with God. The question is, are you seizing this opportunity? Are you seizing, seizing your right? It's important to grow in your understanding of God. And that's why we needed that history lesson. Because there's nothing worse in life than stagnation. Stagnation in a school leads to frustration and failure. Stagnation at work leads to underachieving. Stagnation in your marriage can lead to affairs and ultimate heartbreak. 
Stagnation in your spiritual growth can lead to an unfulfilled life. Now, a lot of you might go, listen, Eric, I just kind of come to church for a little bit of a brush up. I believe in Jesus Christ. I committed my life to him. I'm okay. I don't need to keep things going. I don't need to go anywhere else. I've arrived. Let me tell you what the problem is. If we're not building our faith, we'll have fragile faith. And in Matthew 7, where Jesus tells the story about the man who built his house on the rock versus the man who built his house on the sand, there's one consistency in both of those stories. Storms came. Now, here's the problem with fragile faith, and here's where the rallying call comes. Look at verse 12. So the author started off, and he said, hey, listen, this is in the Old Testament, what you understand about the priesthood. And everyone went, yeah, 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 I get that. Then he says, let's build on that. Here's the real priesthood. Here's the final priest, Jesus. Now, let's look at us. Look at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again. The first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. You know, first service, we we had a baby dedication. It's a little girl, cute as a button. Her name was Lucy. And Lucy right now, all she drinks is milk. And that's what her body processes and that's what her body needs. But as she gets older, she needs more complex nutrition so that she will thrive and grow. And in the same way, spiritually, the author says, listen, a lot of you are drinking spiritual milk and that's all you're drinking. You need to progress to spiritual food. And the reason you need to progress to spiritual food, well, let's look at verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk, listen to this, is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. They know a little bit, but they're unskilled. All right, what's the problem with being unskilled? Look at verse 14. But solid food belongs to those who are full age, which means mature. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I'm going to read that again because this has got a lot of stuff in it. But solid food belongs to those who are full age or mature. That is, those who by reason, which means they're using their faith, reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Because they have used their faith, just like an athlete would work out and become stronger, spiritually, they're consuming spiritual food. They've progressed from milk. They're consuming spiritual food, and they are growing stronger. And the result of that is they have a discerning heart between what is good and what is evil. I have three teenage sons. And to be honest with you, some of the conversations we have as they have grown up, get more and more complicated. Because guess what? How many of you realize that we live in a very complex, complicated world where there are really tough things to talk through? And this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, doesn't always work well. You got to have something more to it. And I'll tell you what. There's some questions that they'll ask me every now and then. Like, Dad, what do you think about this? And we saw this on TV. What's the deal? 
And there's some things where I'm going, guys, I got to tell you something. I got to, I don't know. I don't know where we should stand with this. I don't know how this should be handled. I'm not even totally sure with some things what are right or wrong. And you guys know what I'm talking about because there are some complex problems in this world. And how do we react and how do we handle these things? Well, the author says, listen, you need to be consuming spiritual, hardcore food so that you can discern through these things because if not, you're going to be completely overwhelmed because your faith is fragile. Now, here's the thing. Maybe you're journeying with God. You know, today, uh, my title was, was Changing Gears. And maybe right now your journey with God is kind of stuck in first gear. You know, if you pull out of this church and you're driving in first gear, you'll be fine. You pull out onto Route 1 and drive in first gear and you'll be run over. I have two teenage sons that are learning to drive. Lord have mercy. The one day I'm driving with my son, we're driving to a, a, a soccer practice and he's driving along, the speed limit says 45 and like a good soldier, he's going 45 and we are getting past like we are tied to a tree. I mean, cars are just zipping by us, right? And at one point he says, dad, is something wrong with the car? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I'm going 45, the speed limit's 45, why is everyone passing us? And I said, they're breaking the law. And he went, where are the cops? <laughs> well, here's the thing, guys. Maybe you spiritually feel like, all right, listen, my spiritual car is kind of stuck in first gear. Maybe it's stuck in neutral. Maybe in neutral, it's revving real loud, but we're not really going anywhere. So I don't know what to do. Well, today, I want to encourage you. Because here's the deal, gang. Maybe your spiritual life feels a little stagnant. But God can purify that. God can filter that. God can get you moving. I'd like to show you a, a short little video of a guy named Dan Peterson whose car was stalled out and it got jump-started. Finally tonight, how can you mend a broken heart? Tough question. At least we know where it can happen. Here's Steve Hartman on the road. Not long ago, in a cemetery outside Augusta, Georgia, a loving couple was buried. The wife buried below this white bouquet. The husband buried above in a mound of grief. Took me totally by surprise. 82-year-old Dan Peterson says after Mary died, he fell into a deep depression spent days just staring out at the squirrels. What were you living for? I was trying to figure that out, frankly. You had no purpose? No. Were you just waiting to die? Yeah. For six months, it was just that bad. And then one day you go to a grocery store. <laughs> it all changed inside this Publix. Dan was nearing the end of the canned vegetable aisle. He hates grocery shopping, and by all accounts, the expression on his face confirmed his aggravation. But that's when this unapproachable man was approached by a four-year-old girl named Nora Wood. In the security footage, you can see Nora randomly reaching out to him. Her mom, Tara, says it was quite embarrassing. 
She said, "Hi, old person. It's my birthday today." Old person. Old person. Hi, old person. She says this to this cranky old man. Yeah. And then had the audacity to demand a hug. I said a hug. I said absolutely. <laughs> Nora got her hug and then asked her mom to take a picture of her with her new friend. She zeroed in on him like a missile, and she didn't want anything from him. She just wanted to make him feel loved and give him a hug. And his little lip quivered, and he was teared up, and it was just sweet. And I said, "You don't know. This is the first time for quite a while that I've been as happy." That all happened a couple months ago. And his grin has only gotten wider since. Hi, sweetheart. Come in. Come in. Today, Nora visits at least once a week. So how's my sweetie, huh? And every time, it's the grocery store all over again. I knew I was going to get a hug. <laughs> oh, it's unbelievable. Totally unbelievable. It's a bridge. It's a bridge. Oh, okay. Dan does have grandkids of his own, but they're all grown and gone. And Nora does have grandparents. But her mom says this is a completely different kind of bond, that almost defies explanation. She fell asleep holding a picture of them. I, what? <laughs> to Dan, it's equally miraculous, but far less mysterious. He believes Nora is quite literally an angel. She opened me to a love that I didn't know existed. When your wife died. You felt like you didn't have any purpose anymore. Do you feel like you have a purpose now? Of course. Nora, watching her grow up, I know I made room in my heart for a lot more. Steve Hartman, on the road, in Augusta, Georgia. Is that an awesome video or what? I uh, I like. There's two lines in that video that really get me. It's the first line and the last line. The first line is at a cemetery where a loving couple was buried, one beneath and one above, and he's just waiting to die. And in the last line, 82 years old, what does he say? I've made room in my heart for a lot more. A lot of people in this room I know well. Many of you I don't. But I'm going to tell you some things that are true about every single person in this room, including myself. Just like Dan, you have a purpose. In Mark chapter five, there's an incredible story of a man who is possessed by a legion of demons, and this guy's life is a total disaster. It says, first off, he runs around naked, weird. He lives. Among tombs at a cemetery, they try and bind him with chains, and they can't control this guy—an absolute nightmare of a life. And he encounters Jesus, and Jesus casts the demons out. And not long thereafter, Jesus goes to leave, and the man says, "Which I totally get. Let me come with you." Now, from a ministry standpoint, boy, that's to be a powerful guy to come in and share at your church. Hey, next week's the Potter. The week after, guy possessed by demons coming to speak. You'll get lots of people. What does Jesus say? No, I don't want you to come with me. 
I want you to go to all the cities and all the towns and all the villages and tell them what God has done for you. It said where he was that there were 10 cities around there and he journeys there. Can you imagine what his book would be like to read? I wouldn't even use the cliff notes. I'd read the real thing. You have a purpose. You have a passion. You know, for John, or for Dan in that video, as soon as they said, do you have a purpose? His passion lit up. Nora, I want to watch her grow up. I want to see her see life. I want to help her explain life. You have a passion. John chapter 9 is an awesome story about a man who is blind that Jesus healed. And here's the funny thing about it. It's one of the weird healings in the Bible where the guy doesn't even know who Jesus is. And Jesus heals him and after he gets healed, they kind of get separated. And the man goes on this journey to find Jesus. All the while, he gets get, keeps getting questioned by the religious authorities. And in the beginning of John chapter 9, they say to him, Hey, who do you think this Jesus is? He says, he's a miracle worker. Look, I was blind, now I see. Later on, they ask him, who do you think this Jesus is? He says, I think he's a prophet. Later on, they say, who do you think this Jesus is? He says, I think he was sent by God. And then finally, they end it and they say, who do you think Jesus is? And he says, he's the son of God. And I'm his disciple. Wow. That guy is an igniter. He's going to go around, and I'll tell you what, when he comes in, the room's going to turn electric. Because that guy is on fire for the Lord. And I'm going to tell you this, that every one of you have that passion. You have a passion. You have something that God has put into you that only you can do uniquely. And you can do a great job with it. You know, I love being a part of Sizzling Summer. And I'm up there on the stage with Pastor Bob, and I love watching these people being baptized. But I'm going to tell you this. There's something I like even more than watching people being baptized. I love when they get out of the tub and go down from the stairs, and they kind of disappear into the darkness because of the stage lights. And they're down there, and I'll tell you what. They got people around them praying for them. They got people handing them Bibles. I know for a fact that they get fouled up with emails and phone calls and text messages and that. And those people are so passionate. And I'll sit there and I'm just staring at them. You know, because I love to watch these people who are literally igniters. And what they're doing is they're rubbing up against other people and they're going to light them up too. It's contagious. You have a purpose, you have a passion, and you have potential. John chapter 4 is the famous story of the woman at the well. And here's this woman who had been married and divorced and married and divorced. She had been rejected. She had a horrible reputation. She had slept around with a bunch of guys. And she's going to a well in the middle of the day because she wants to avoid being seen by people. Because her whole life she feels like she just doesn't make the cut. And she goes up to that well and leaning against the well is a Jewish carpenter. And says, hey, can I have a drink? And the only thing I can think of is the angels have to start laughing. Like, oh my gosh, he's asking someone for a drink. He made drink. He made water. He made the well. He's asking for a drink. Our Lord and Savior asking for a drink. And him and this woman start this dialogue. And then Jesus says, hey, go call your husband. 
Well, I have no husband. No, you're right. You've had many husbands, and the guy you're living with now isn't your husband. But there's something about Jesus that he can say incredibly hard things and say them in a loving way. Because look at the woman's reaction. She put down her water pot. The whole time I'm wondering, did Jesus ever actually get a drink? I don't know. She runs back to the town, goes into the town and says, Hey everyone, come out to the well and hear from a man who told me everything I've ever done. And I'm guessing there were some people there who were saying, Are are you proud about that? But I think the woman said, no, I'm not. But I'm going to tell you this. The guy out at the well gave me hope, forgiveness, and a future and loved me. And everyone needs to meet the guy at the well. You have purpose, you have passion, you have potential. So today, you know, when I teach middle school kids, um, I always end with what I call three for the road. And I'm going to do that with you guys as well. Because maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, Eric, this all sounds great. But my purpose, passion, and potential fires are kind of smoldering. They're kind of going out. The reins of life are putting out my purpose, passion, and potential fires. But I'm going to tell you this. You may feel like they're going out, but we, live a, we serve and love a mighty God who is an igniter. For Dan, all he needed to do is bump into a four-year-old girl, and she lit him back up. She lit him back up. The moment that reporter said, and in one day you went to the grocery store, did you see his whole body shake? Because he had been ignited right there. So here's your three for the road. Number one is this, breathe again. Maybe like Dan in that video, you've had some hard blows in life. Breathe again. Know that you have a heavenly father that loves you and cares about you and is more than willing to journey with you through the dark times. Breathe again. And say, all right, God, there are times in my life where I literally have to get alone, take a deep breath and go, God, quiet my heart. Because right now I am struggling. God, help me. I don't know what to do here. God, speak to me. And I always feel like God says, Eric, take a deep breath. Calm yourself. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So let's figure this out together. Breathe again. Number two, wake up. Maybe you've fallen into a spiritual coma. Maybe your body may be going through the actions, but your heart and mind are not engaged. Maybe there was a time in your life where your purpose, passion, and potential fires were roaring, but somehow they have gone dormant. Wake up. For Dan, he woke up at the end of the canned foods aisle. Maybe you need to wake up. Maybe you need to flip through pictures of the past and go, where is that person? Because he's still in you. Maybe you need to look through some things and go, wait a minute. There was a time in my life where I was really moving with God. I was shifting gears. I was eating spiritual heavy foods, man, and I was going. And now I'm not. I'm going to tell you, it's not too late. Wake up. Dan was 82 years old, and God went, I'm not done with you. Wake up, Dan. 
When it's your time, it'll be your time. But right now, wake up. You know, I go to funerals all the time, and they always quote that Philippians 1.21. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And to die is gain. But to live is Christ. You have to wake up. Because we live in a world that's really lost, and we need believers who are wide awake, and who are armed, and who are eating adult food, and going in and saying, all right, Lord, what do you got for me here? Wake up. And then finally, to quote the old Nike slogan, just do it. Maybe you're sitting here and you've got a little bit of knowledge of God and you've been kind of like taste testing in Christianity. Man, you need to step forward and make it happen. You need to step forward and say, listen, this is what I'm going to be about. And this is the man I'm going to be. This is the woman I'm going to be. This is the person I'm going to be. And I'm going to work every single day to figure out what it means to be a Christian in my home. What it means to be a Christian with my husband and wife. What it means to be a Christian in my school. What it means to be a Christian on my sports team. What it means to be a Christian in my family, my neighborhood, at my job site. Whatever it is, but you're going to just do it. You know, the funny thing is, is when I take personality tests, people always think that I'm actually like very extroverted and crazy and insane and part of that is true not the crazy insane but part of that's true the other thing is is i'm highly introverted and so the funny thing is is before i'm getting ready to do talks i always feel like i'm going to be sick always feel that and so a perfect example is thursday morning i'm sitting in a parking lot at garden valley middle school and i'm going to go speak at a wildlife club all right now, wildlife is the young life version with middle school. Thus, it's called wildlife. It is raining buckets of water like crazy. I honestly think, haven't had a plumbing issue, something broke, but it's just pouring down. There's no one in the parking lot. I'm questioning why God has me doing this stuff because I'm very nervous. I don't want to get out of the car. So I get out of the car. It's amazing that even at my age, I feel like I'm capable of moving at a fairly fast rate, but it doesn't matter how fast I move because guys don't use umbrellas because guys don't use umbrellas. I am completely drenched by the time I get to the door. I run through the door and run smack into some guy with a security badge. He says, can I help you? And I, you know, I'm like, dripping, my glass are all fogged up. I'm looking, and I said, I'm just here for wildlife. And he goes, follow all these girls. And so here's this pack of girls, and they're weaving through the hallway, and I'm trying to clean off so I don't run into a locker or everything like that. And, of course, the girls are kind of looking like, he's following us. I go into a gymnasium, and it's packed with kids. Now, the only mistake that they make there is they're feeding them donuts. Do you know what donuts do to middle school kids at quarter to seven in the morning? Good gracious. It's this insanity. And the first thought in my mind is, I don't know if I want to be doing this. And then I always feel like God's saying, Eric, just do this. Just go up there and see what's happened. What's the worst that happens? They throw donuts at you. It'll be all right. <laughs> just go and do it. And so many times in life, we weigh out about well, what could happen? What could happen? Well, what might happen? What if God shows up? What if God does something? What if God opens doors? What if God changes hearts? You know, we don't always have to read about God moving and doing things in mission magazines. 
He does that stuff stateside too. As the worship team comes up, I just want to close you with this idea. Breathe again. Wake up. Just do it. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you believe that, then live it. Why would you want to live a spiritually stagnant life? I'll close with this last verse. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. You ever read some verses in the Bible and you can actually see it in your head? Anybody ever have that? When I read John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, I see it in my head. I see Jesus at this well, and I see him leaning against the well, and I see him looking down the well. And across it, on the other side, I see the woman leaning and looking down the same well. And Jesus looking down that well, and then looking up at that woman, and looking her in the eye, and saying, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. You don't have to be spiritually stagnant. You can switch gears. You can breathe again. You can wake up. You can just do this. We can all do this.